This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. In this episode, I spoke with Brett and Stuart who live in Sydney and they conceived their son Findlay with the help of a surrogate in Canada. As you'll hear, things very much did not go as they had planned and they ended up spending five months in Canada caring for their premature baby. They have a lot of advice for intended parents who are thinking about pursuing surrogacy overseas and also about the initial stages of becoming parents, particularly to a premature baby. I'm going to hand over now to Brett and Stuart. I'm, I'm Brett and this is my partner Stuart and we had uh, a baby, baby Findlay, through surrogacy in Canada in October of 2017. Um, Brett and I had always been keen to have children from when we first met. It was one of the first discussions that we had and um, we got married in 2015 and after the wedding we thought, okay, now it's time to get serious about it. Let's, um, let's go and explore our options. And uh, we actually started with adoption and we got really far down that path. Um, so fostering with intent to adopt. Um, and at the, say close to the 11th hour, we both sat down and there were just a few things that weren't really working for us. And that's when we... Um, we changed our focus from adoption over to surrogacy. Um, and then we started looking at casting the net far and wide. We explored countries, including Thailand, India, Greece, the US, and Canada. And ultimately we landed on Canada for the reasons of having exceptional healthcare, which um, we definitely ended up needing. We'll talk a bit more about that later. Um, you could both be on the birth certificates. Um, that was probably the biggest one for us, um, not having to sort of fight to prove that we were the parents of, of our child, but actually we were the people that were down as, as parent one and parent two. Um, the fact that um, there was good agency support there, so we had people that could help us try and find the right surrogate. Now, obviously, um, cost came into effect of why we chose um, Canada as well. It was just a little bit cheaper than the US, but we felt it had a similar level of healthcare coverage and, and support. And the shared laws between Canada and Australia as well in terms of altruistic surrogacy being the, being the same. Mm. So we did, you know, there was a bit of fear around um, being able to bring the child back into, into Australia. Um, but at the time we, we, we had explored Australia, we sort of touched on it and we, we didn't really dig deep enough, I don't think, because um, it wasn't until we were really far along and pregnant with Finlay that we realised that there was this entire amazing community of people who had been surrogates or who were in the middle of surrogacy and all these amazing sort of intended parents and, and parents of, of surrogacy here. Um, we just felt, felt that there were so many barriers in Australia from the, um, you know, from having to go and have the conversation with the IVF clinic and prove that we couldn't have a baby on our own and then go through the counselling and all of that sort of stuff. Um, it just, it felt like it was stacked up against us uh, but probably because we didn't explore it enough to understand uh, and understand enough ourselves for, for what we could have done here. So we, um, we, we found a, um, well, we worked with uh, Sam Everingham actually he, who pulled together a really amazing um, breakdown of, of um, uh, different countries and what we could do in each of those in each of those places um, and some really great um, agencies as well and so we reached out to the agency that he introduced us to and and we you know we got on really well with them um, and they we felt like they really sort of understood what we were going for and they felt like they were good a good human company um, and so we worked with them and then they they matched us with a surrogate who 
it just ended up not working out with her. Um, there was actually, some... they matched us with a couple and I think that's one piece of advice if I could give any intended parents is you have to go with your gut and the emotional connection that you have with the surrogate because the reality is they're going to be in your life and they do such an amazing thing for you but you know that relationship will be for forever so if, if you go into that and it doesn't feel quite right just trust your instinct on it we, we had a couple of instances didn't we mm. it's actually our third surrogate that we ended up going with but the first one that we that we went with, what, what Stuart's saying there is, um, is we neither of us really felt like we had a, an amazing sort of connection with her, but we were sort of made a little bit to feel like they're really hard to find. It's a really hard to find match it with a surrogate. You need to just sort of go with go with who we give you type of thing. They didn't say that explicitly, but it just felt like it was a little bit towards that. Um, and we were, as the as time went on, as we were getting to know her, we were really sort of trying to force the relationship, and and that was, we were trying to do everything right by by that, um, and then there just ended up being a few things that happened which were, which we weren't told of. Been, you know, there was a partner in prison, and there was some drug related thing, and then we asked for a police report, but then they said well, we don't really do police reports. For, for this, and so we just felt like we were we were actually setting our, our unborn child up for for failure, really. Um, and so yeah, so we moved on, and we we got matched with um, with our surrogate Alana, who just as soon as we spoke to her, it, we, we just we were all on we were all on Zoom, um, and the, her her husband Stuart and I we were all just in tears, crying to with each other because we just got on so well, and we were so mentally and aligned, and we, you know, we, we had the same um, value system, and it was just really fantastic when, when that happened. Um, yeah. Wow. And it's so lovely to hear that you can do that over Zoom. I've heard that a few times now, that um, you can have that connection even when you're doing an overseas surrogacy arrangement. That's really yeah. positive to hear because often that's not what people think overseas surrogacy is about. Once we um yeah once we'd had those initial meetings and we established a relationship we did we jumped on a plane and we flew over and we went and met them and we had lunch with her and her husband and um we got to the restaurant and they were thirty minutes late they weren't returning our texts they were an hour late and Brett and I were sitting in the restaurant and I remember Brett just saying she's not coming is she and I have to say I don't know I didn't think she was either I thought you know she's got in the car and changed her mind um. And then hour 15 later, she runs into the restaurant. She's so apologetic. She gives us a great big cuddle and we sit down. We end up having this amazing lunch. And I think the clincher for me was her husband talking about the surrogacy process. He said, um, hand on heart, boys. I, um, I don't understand why she wants to do this, but I love her and I support her in whatever she wants to do. And it was that amount of honesty going into it that I thought, yes, th these are the perfect partners for us if we can get to that level quite quickly. Mm. That's lovely. That's so lovely to hear him, him be able to articulate that, that it's yeah. really her journey, but he's fully supportive. That's amazing. And I, I don't think you, you can ever overlook the fact that the husband and the families are just as much on this journey as the surrogate. And in some ways we are too. Like it, it does affect all of the close-knit families around the, the surrogate. Mm. Tell me about um, creating embryos. Did you do that in Australia or over in Canada? We did that in the States. Okay. Um, so part of our reason for choosing the States for that was, um, was just the level of detail that the agencies go in um, on, the, on the history of the donor in terms of, um, you know, medical, um, family medical history, 
all of that sort of thing. And it was, um, you know, we, we chose someone who is uh, an anonymous donor, but she did decide, she, she has allowed us to get in contact if Finley's ever got any questions about her um, or any sort of health issues or health questions. Um, we really, we, we, ideally, we would have found someone who would have had contact later, um, but I think the, for us it, it sort of worked out that that's okay because um, really his story is a lot to do with Alana, our surrogate, and that's who, who really sort of grew him. And so we sort of, um, I guess we, we, we landed on that and, and felt, felt comfortable enough with, with that. Um, but creating the embryos in, in the States is, I mean, it's a pretty sort of slick operation. Um, you know, we worked with a really amazing agency over there who, um, she was one of the first people in, the, uh, in America to create a, um, a donor agency. Uh, Shelley and she's since left the business but the but the people that worked for her are still around um, and they just they were really lovely to deal with actually all the way along uh, and then we worked with the fertility clinic in, in LA um, which was I mean when we were speaking to them on the phone and, and on the email we felt like it was sort of a small operation and we got in there and it was this amazing clinic <laughs> we were just so blown away by you know, it was all shiny surfaces and everything brand new and this amazing sort of laboratory in there where they were creating the embryos and, mm. you know, and then that odd room that you have to go into to do your <laughs> stuff <laughs> right off the, off the reception area. Even to get to this point, the sheer amount of work and research we had to do to find the right IVF clinic in LA, to find the right surrogate in Canada, to find the best IVF clinic in Toronto to do the transplant, to make sure that we were legally covered, that we were going to be able to get this baby back in the country, that we had legal standings if something went wrong in both Canada and the US was one of the most challenging pieces of research I've had to do. Way harder than university or anything that I do in my day-to-day -day job. Um, and there maybe isn't, there isn't a one-stop shop where you can just go and get all of the information that you need. So you're fact-finding from multiple sources and quite often through it, you would get different information from different places. And then you have to go and do your own independent research to find out what is the right, the, the truth behind it. Mm. So there is, um, there's a lot of due diligence and then there's just a lot of faith as well, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> that you just have to go with your gut and hope that you're doing the right thing. I think that's probably true of most surrogacy, that there is a real leap of faith for everyone involved, that you have to hope that it's going to work out and trust your gut based on yeah. your research, a PhD in surrogacy, essentially. That's yeah. how we feel now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a bit. So then tell me about the transfer process. So we created the embryos. We went through the sort of five-day blast and we started off with this huge amount of, of embryos and it was sort of, you know, we were, we were awash with them, if you like. And then by the end of the five days and after all the sort of PGD and PGS testing and, and things, we got to three embryos, which was kind of devastating after the first five days having, at the beginning of the cycle, we had, you know, something like between 13 and 17 each mm. and, and down in total we got to three um so we got those three shipped up to toronto um and then they then you're sort of on the on the wait really for for alana's cycle to start and also to get it aligned with the with the clinic um and the one thing we found was that we were really at a bit of a loss around the financial stuff for from each of the clinics because 
no one was really ever able to give you just a full list of these are the costs and this is how much it's going to be and this is the billing cycle and this is when we bill. Um, so it was always sort of, you know, you get a call at 11 o'clock at night saying um, you need to transfer $15,000 right now sort of thing. And then you're like, oh, okay, you've got to find that, I guess. It's like planning a wedding, but the caterer, the florist, the DJ, the band, no one's giving you the costs until they're actually there and playing. And then you just get <laughs> sent an email and quite often Friday night you'd be falling off your chair and wondering how you're going to find the $15,000 that you need by Tuesday next week. Yeah. Um, but then we, we found out, you know, we got a, a day's notice that Alana was flying from um, Vancouver to Toronto. Then she went in and, and got the transfer and, and she sent us pictures. It was amazing, actually. She sent pictures of getting of the transfer happening. And um, there's this one picture of her with her... Um, you could see the embryo on the screen and she had a hand sort of cupping it. Um, she's like, this is me protecting your baby. And it was Aww. from that moment was, was pretty phenomenal. And yeah, we just, we got, had a real sense, even at that time that she, that pregnancy was going to take. Yeah. But you knew straight away. You I was kept saying, no, that's it. We're, we're on. I, I liked your confidence, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> and I think. Tell me, was that, that transfer successful? It was. So I know that the pregnancy, um, continued on obviously to create a baby but uh he was born premature tell me about that so we got a call on the we had really good contact with alana throughout the pregnancy we were sending um videos of ourselves talking and we were reading books to baby um cat in the hat and hungry caterpillar and sending little audio records to her so that we sort of felt like we were a part of it we felt a little bit disconnected from the from the pregnancy i think because we weren't there and it was our first time we didn't really understand and we didn't really know enough about what what sort of contact we should have been having um so we know a lot more now around that um but we were we would find out after she'd been for a scan that she'd had a scan sort of thing so it was it was we, we weren't we didn't really feel like we were that attached to those those sort of key moments I think it's, it's in her personality as well. She's very much a face-to-face -face person. So you engage with her over a dinner or a coffee, but she's, she's not interested in her phone. She's got her world and her life going on. Yeah. And when you're on the other side of the world and there's important things going on in your baby's life and you're not hearing about them, that can be a challenge and it can make you feel incredibly distant from the process. Yeah. Uh, and so then we, we got a, a message from our from the agency just saying um, there's been a slight issue. Let us know when you're up and we'll call you. And that was, we were at week 25, 24. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that was sort of, you know, that, through the whole, through the whole process, we would be getting messages at like between 4am and, and 6am from before we'd made the embryos and these phone calls that we'd be having with the, the clinic in, in LA about, we, we learned more about the, uh, the female anatomy at between the hours of five and 7 AM than we've ever, ever known that we thought we would need to know. Driving to work, you'd have a full on hour meeting with the doctors and then start your day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so this was, this was, you know, no different at that time of the morning, just getting sort of a shock email and going, okay, so then, Sort of go in. It was five thirty, and I went in. I worked Stuart up and said, "We we need to call the the agency. There's um, there's a problem." And so we were sort of terrified, really. Um, 
and gave them a call. And they your were... heart just sinks at that moment, doesn't it? Yeah. Like a small problem when you've got a pregnant woman. <laughs> yeah, it's any small problem is a massive problem yeah. when there's a when there's a baby and a and a someone's life. At, you feel like you're being eased into a difficult situation. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they said that she had elevated blood pressure and that she they they were light on detail, but she had elevated blood pressure. They believed it may have been a situational stress moment, um, and that we needed to know that and that there is a possibility of an emergency C-section, but they thought it was highly unlikely. And so at this point, we we both just felt like actually they were just alerting us to a situation and managing that if in the rare chance that something were to happen, that we we were prepared. So there, there was no thoughts of packing any bags or anything at that stage. It was more just, okay, um, the doctors have picked this up and they just need to watch it. And, you know, this time next week, everything will be back to normal and we'll be back in business cooking along nicely. Mm. Um, and then that day we just, they were, they, they were trying to get us details, but they were a bit light on um, just because they weren't getting the information either. Then in the evening, we got a message to say that she was being transferred from um, the hospital where she lived, where she lives in a regional area of, um, of BC, and she was being transferred to um, Vancouver. So then we realised that that was pretty bad, but also okay because they wouldn't have transferred her if she wasn't stable. Um, but still they were saying, don't, don't get on a plane right now. We still think that they can manage this and we, they can get her blood pressure down. And we just kept asking, you know, should one of us be getting on a plane? Because we, we can, we'll just, you know, we'll leave today if we need to. And um, they were quite reassuring. Just, no, no, it's, it's fine at this stage. It's just precautionary. And so we're sort of sitting there at 25 weeks. It was 25 weeks by the yeah. stage. And we were, we suddenly, I guess, got that realisation where we're, we're pregnant you know like that was probably the first time that we'd had that utter realization that what was happening was not this um you know this sort of mystical thing but actually we were we were getting ready for fatherhood i think we both became parents that day you feel so useless as well you're on the other side of the world with your surrogate in hospital in a place you've you've never even visited with doctors you've never met wondering if she's okay is the baby okay and um you're here in Australia and there's, there's really nothing that you can do or say to help the situation. So then that, um, that night we were uh, probably a boring bit of detail, but we, my brother was away. So we went over to his place to look after his dog with our dog. Um, and so we were staying there the night and we just both felt a little bit raw and a little bit sort of just nothing felt really great. We didn't, we felt really uneasy. Um, the next morning we woke up and there was still no detail. No one was able to tell us anything. And because of the time difference, morning is better, the best um, uh, contact with them. Um, and so when we spoke to the agency again, they said, look, we've, we've spoken to the, she was calling the hospital and getting updates. And she said, there's no change. It's okay. I don't think you need to get on a plane yet. We're, we're, we're looking okay. I think it's, um, I think that they're, they're stabilizing her and everything's going to be all right. She hasn't been able to text us because she's been on a drip and she'd had drips in both arms. So she couldn't use her phone. So we were, we had zero contact with, with her at this stage, which was, you know, quite frightening for us because we just wanted that reassurance that she was okay. Um, because we didn't really have any concept that baby would be okay. So we were more worried about her that if, if the baby was not going to be okay, you know. Um, and then... I don't understand that. So just, well, we were... 
I guess not understanding what the, not knowing that a baby could survive at 25 weeks if the baby was born. My, well, my feeling was that the baby would die. So anyway, so then we just sort of going about our morning and then trying to, we're trying to go about our morning. Then we get a phone a text message. Um, we just went down to the beach to go and throw ourselves in the water and just yeah, scream. I think we were water. trying to just, it was a Saturday and we were trying to treat it like any other Saturday. And it was a nice day. It was the beginning of summer and the weather was nice. So Brett said, you know what, let's just run down to Bronte and get in the water and clear our heads. And um, we got down to Bronte and we put our towels down and then, my phone just went and it was a text saying, okay, your baby's coming now. You've got to get to Canada. We will, um, we're going to have to do an emergency C-section. We will do everything we can to try and wait until you get here, but you've got very little time. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really sink in straight away. So we looked at each other and said, okay, let's, let's get in the water. So we put our towels down and we ran down to the water, jumped in. And I think as we both came up for air, the severity of the situation just hit us and then yeah I just remember standing on that beach with you thinking what what the, what the hell are we going to do like what what are the steps that we need to go through now to get us to where we need to be I was totally sort of lost at sea just walking around in circles walking around in circles on the beach and just crying and then called my brother and said you know I can't look after your dog tonight we've got to go to Canada <laughs> it was sort of this bizarre you know you, your head goes into all sorts of different different areas and then Stuart got on the phone and spoke to um, one of our really close friends to just try and find flights for us because we just couldn't focus on that. Um, spoke to another friend, um, Zoe, who, who has got four children of her own. And I just remember thinking, just outsource everything, like everything that you can in this moment in time, get yeah. the help that you need. What do we need? We need flights. What do we need? Lift to the airport. Um, we, and- need, we need packing. We need all... <laughs> So she just dropped everything. We don't know what she was doing, but she's got four children. It's a Saturday morning. We imagine that she wasn't just sitting there having a cup of tea. Um, and she just came straight down and she was like, okay, you go and have a shower. You go and sit there, have a cup of tea. I'm packing. And I'll go and get the dogs because we left them at the house. Yeah, well. at yeah. my brother's place. And so there was sort of, you know, we had stuff everywhere. Um, and she was just so amazing, actually, because we were, we didn't know what to do or what to expect. And then I started packing things for the baby just in case the baby was actually born. And then she said, just, just leave that. Just, you don't want to be dealing with that if, it, if it's not okay. Um, I'll send you whatever you need to send. Wow. That's, I don't, I don't even know what you can say to that. That's pretty, that's a pretty harsh way of becoming parents. Certainly. Yeah. Um, when did you arrive in Canada? I think even so a beautiful friend Zoe and I still um you know we were going through a lot at that point but she was so in it that I still feel for her and that day was so full on for her too but she drove us to the airport and then we were driving to the airport and I suddenly thought we've we're flying through San Fran it was the only flight we could get that day I suddenly thought we've got no US visas we've got no Canadian visas so then I'm on my phone trying to organize the visas to get us there and um, I'm a British citizen and for whatever reason, mine came through straight away, Brett's didn't. So we get to the airport and the, we're trying to check in and the woman on the desk said, look, um, you're gonna, there's a, your visa hasn't come through for Canada, so there's a good chance that you're going to be taken off the plane and you'll just have to stay in the US till it comes through. So then we're thinking, okay, well, we'll have to do what we have to do. Brett, you get off in San Fran, I'll keep going. And then we had... Um, world's longest flights from sydney to san fran i think what it's about a 14 hour flight yeah. and 
felt like we were on that plane for days because hand on heart by that point we just didn't know what we were landing to we didn't know the health of our surrogate we didn't know the health of our baby you know was was he fine and still in there was she fine had the baby been born had they had the emergency c-section um, so we landed as we landed we phoned and he was still in there holding on and then next flight over to vancouver and the plane lands and by that point they were just on the phone they were saying leave everything you, you've got to get here um, and the irony is our luggage didn't arrive for another three weeks after that, but we had left it there anyway. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so our first three weeks in Canada, we, um, we were in $5 Walmart clothes, weren't we? Yeah, <laughs> and we were just, even like security coming into security in, in Sydney and then in the States and in, you know, we looked terrible and they were like you look really nervous <laughs> they kept on sort of asking pushing the question like we're really nervous because we're having potentially having a baby right now and and really premature and then this one woman was like well you should be happy i said like, well we're not it's too it's too soon and it was just too much to sort of explain but we're trying to explain why we looked nervous and you know um yeah so then we we get there without luggage and we jump in a taxi and the, the hospital was way further than what we knew but you know it was sort of 40 minute taxi ride so it was just everything felt like it took a very long time mm. uh, and then we got strict instructions of where to go in the in the hospital and we arrived and we got up to level two and we came out and then a nurse came out and said oh you must be the daddies and she seems pretty chilled and we we're like yeah we are and then she sort of let us in and and we saw um, Alana's husband and he was like, hey, you made it. And he was really chill. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing because we were like on the, just the edge. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what was going on? Um, and then we just sort of stood around with him for a little minute as he was in the scrubs and having a, having a laugh. And, and so we were sort of really just didn't know what to expect out of anything really because we didn't, yeah, it was all so bizarre. <laughs> I, I think between our surrogate and her husband they have four children each so this was collectively the ninth pregnancy or birth that they had been through and obviously it was our first so i think they were a lot calmer <laughs> than we were uh, and then we got introduced to the the people in the in the NICU and they said you're probably going to be spending a lot of time here um and so we they sort of showed us no one could answer any questions when we were speaking to the to the hospital staff um, because no one had any answers to be able to give. Um, and we said, is, it, is the baby definitely coming today? And she said, yes, um, she's going in for a C-section now. And, and um, she was only able to, because of everything that she was going through and everything that she'd been through, um, we, we didn't go into the, into the delivery room. It, we just, it was her and her husband and we just thought that was probably the best thing. We were just a bit lost and then started getting text messages with our baby coming out of her stomach. <laughs> I think at that point, as I don't know, as two gay parents with a surrogate in a foreign country, there were, there were some nurses that were very nice to us, but there was also um, not a level of hostility, but the people were wary of us. And I think maybe we were hypersensitive to it, but there was a feeling that you were maybe an, out, an outsider because this process is so new and the hospitals don't have any policy around it. So maybe, maybe it was a little bit of them not really knowing how to interact or engage with us. For instance, at the birthing point, you know, um, who should be in the room or um, what decisions, if there are complications, should each person have responsibility 
for. So you, I remember feeling, well, obviously incredibly worried for everyone, but also feeling a little bit on the outside and like I was in a position where I shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, and it was sort of, you, you feel like, we felt a bit like idiots, you know, you're sitting there feeling like we're, it was, you know, there was just a little bit of energy coming towards us from, from I think, one of the, the, charge, charge, nurse. the charge nurse in the in maternity, not from the NICU. Um, and so we, you know, whenever we ask a question, she said, well, I'm in the middle of my job. I can't answer everything, you know. And it was just one of those moments. And we thought, if it's going to be like this for the whole, you know, if we're here for a really long time and this is the hostility we're going to get, then I don't know how we're going to survive that, you know. Like, that's that's pretty intense. Um, but then when, you know, we saw little pictures of our, our son and I said to Stuart, we've, we've got a son. And, and even then Stuart was like, anything could happen. Just don't, anything could happen. And I think that's our difference. When you're in, you're just two feet in and that's it, we're off. And yeah. then I, maybe it was a bit more trepidation around it and maybe a little bit more self-preservation that if this didn't go the way that we wanted it to, that find the strength to just pick myself up and keep going. And I was like, well, if anything happens, then the, the loss is going to be too great. Like it felt, it was just this, this really strange feeling of grief and joy. It was, it was, I've, I've never felt and, anything like it. And I just remember feeling, it feels like this is happening to someone else. Mm. I'm here in body, but I feel like I'm watching it in a, a movie or a film, reading about it in a novel about this situation that's happening to a character that you're watching rather than us. Mm. It's so surreal. I, I think obviously we just got off, you know, a 20 hour flight as well. <laughs> yeah. All the stress that been going on, but it was quite, it did feel like a bit of an out of body experience. Totally. So that was, no, no one could give us any answers on anything really. So we were trying to sort of find out as much as we could. Um, you know, we, we let just a very few close people that we know, know that, that he was born. Um, just basically our parents, really. Um, and then they, we, we asked them questions around what, what, what's the next stage. And they said, once the baby is born, then we'll talk about it. Sort of once he's out and he's sort of they have assessed him. Just, I think they didn't want to go into too much of it if, if it wasn't going to sort of, if he wasn't going to last, you know. Um, and so then he came out um, and we, we got to, when we met our son for the very first time was the doors just opened and this sort of incubator came out and there was this teeny tiny little baby of 490 grams in a plastic bag. That was the shock. Nobody tells you your baby's coming out in a plastic bag. For and, humidity. Um, <laughs> and, and to protect the skin as well because it hadn't developed at that point. But at, um, yeah, 490 grams, he was the second smallest baby they'd ever delivered. So this guy was a really little fellow. But... um. The one thing I remember at that moment was Alana, our surrogate's positivity. There was never a hesitation in her mind that this baby was going to be anything but fine. She said he'd had the perfect pregnancy, he'd had a great old time in there, and he'd had to come out when he didn't want to, but there was never any doubt in her mind that he was going to be fine. The doctors didn't think that, the nurses didn't think that, I don't think our family did, but she was the one right from the beginning that just knew he was going to be okay. Um, and so then we go into the into the NICU and they 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 worked on him and they they sort of got him all all sort of ready and they put him on um, on often small babies like that go straight onto a jet 
um, oxygen, but they put him on CPAP because he was breathing on his own, which was quite remarkable. But some of the nurses got quite cross with the fact that they went on to CPAP and not straight onto the jet because it's just so exhausting for them. Um, it makes them work a lot harder. Um, and then any questions that we had, we were saying, so it, will he survive? When, when, what, what, when will we know? And they said, well, we know when we know but we, we can't tell you when that is. And it's like, well, are there any, are there any benchmarks? Is also, they kept saying, for? don't share any photos, don't send anyone anything, just enjoy every minute. Mm. They just kept saying it, and it's like, yeah. I think we were trying to be positive, and they were reading our positivity as not perceiving the magnitude of the situation. So while we were trying to be upbeat, they were trying to wake us up to a situation, you know, <laughs> or maybe didn't think that we understood the gravitas yeah. of it. So it was, yeah, a difficult first week, wasn't it? It was. And so then we just realised that we're there until we're there. Um, and, and so we, I, own, I, my, I own my own business, so I was able to sort of speak to my business partner, who's the most incredible, supportive person. She's got two children of, herself, of her own as well. And, um, and she was like, just whatever needs to happen needs to happen, and, and we got you. This is, this is fine. So stupidly we thought maybe he'd be in there for sort of six or seven weeks and then he'd be you know right as rain and just a normal sort of newborn but 120 days later we broke out yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was a really long time yeah so in in this hospital they didn't have a um they didn't have a sort of parent sleeping arrangement um so you had to leave each day and we were really lucky to find an airbnb around the corner uh, literally 500 meters from the hospital it was the teeniest, tiniest flat that we've ever, ever been in. And we were there for three months. Mm. Uh, where in the middle of winter in Vancouver, where every day was just raining. And then we were sort of walking up to the... Our, our lives consisted of waking up, walking up to the hospital, being there all day, being there all night, and then walking back and having dinner and going to bed sort of thing. A couple of bottles of wine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I think the first two months were brought to us by Pinot Noir. <laughs> you, you, you could be in there... Uh, 24 hours a day so there's no time where you couldn't be but there was a handover between the day staff and the night staff every morning at 6 and every night at 6.30 where for an hour you couldn't be in the hospital and um, I think it's probably more for the parents than anything because it actually forced you otherwise you'd just been there all the time but at 6.30 every night it actually forced you to go away and have some dinner and get a break and then go back in that evening. And I think that the, the nurses in the NICU are some of the most amazing people I think we've ever, ever met. Um, they were so supportive of us. We, I mean, we went into overdrive at the beginning. It's like, we are these foreigners in this place. We want to make sure that they realise that we, we, we're really here for, for this. Um, there was some conversation early on that maybe we would be going home. Um, and then just sort of come back and collect baby when baby was ready, um, which they've had before in that hospital. And I just, it blew me away that that could even be a consideration. I know that there's, you know, there's life has to continue. And so there are some people that just can't be there all the time. And that's absolutely fair enough. But the concept that we would just leave and expect them to take care of him and, and then we'll just come and collect him was, was sort of beyond us and way beyond anything that we would ever even imagine ourselves. And, and the, there was that sense that that was what people thought was going to happen. Um, so, but we were in full overdrive of like, we need to, he's got, he's got us only and we need to be there for him. Um, and so we, yeah, we dedicated, we dedicated that entire time just to, just to him and getting him healthy. Um, the, 
the nurses and the doctors, they've become really great friends of ours. They, what they did for him was so remarkable. He was able to have a, um, a, a team of, um, of primary nurses, um, which we felt so lucky to be able to do that in a foreign place, you know, to have five nurses that whenever they were on, um, on duty, they had him. So they knew him from when he was teeny tiny all the way through to when we left. Um, having that level of, of support was phenomenal because it was um, not even just for him. They, they you know, they were, um, they were bringing dinners in for us as well. And in, by the end of it, the doctors, some of them invited us over to our houses for dinner. Um, some families had cooked frozen meals and brought them in because they knew that we were away from our family. When we came in on Christmas Day, everything was decked out in Christmas attire and he was dressed as a little elf. Like they really, the healthcare was phenomenal, but the, it was the over and above that just blew us away. These, these people will be really good friends of ours for the rest of our lives now, I think. Yeah, just a really, it was so human. It was so high touch and so emotional. And it was, you know, it was the worst, worst single worst period of our lives, um, but really beautiful. And, and so strange, it's same, same as what I said before about that sort of joy and grief coming together. That's what we had the whole way through. And there were, there were moments of just sheer terror um, and then just moments of overwhelming joy. It was... Because you still get those pockets of everything that you might experience with a healthy newborn baby as well. Mm. First time they smile, when their eyes open. So even in, you know, your 12 to 14, 15 hours a day of being in this windowless NICU, you still have those little moments of joy. And I think that's probably what gets you back up in the morning and coming back. Mm. And the community was, that we created. I was going to ask how Alana was after the surgery. So she was, she, I mean, she had to recover from the surgery, but her blood pressure went down straight away. So she had preeclampsia. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until the next morning that we found out the severity of it. She had a blood pressure of 220. Wow. Um, and she just, she just needed him out. And, and once he was out, then her, her body was, was happy again. Um, there's a lot more that needed to go into, you know, the, just the emotional sort of um, uh, aspect of, of what that means. Um, I don't think she'll mind us saying, but she carried a little bit of guilt for us, for the situation, even though it was completely, number one, not her fault and unavoidable. It just, it happens and no one really knows why. Um, so just with Alana over the next few weeks, we really had to make sure that, you know, the guilt that she was feeling went away and it wasn't a reality and it was, it was definitely not how we were feeling about the situation. Because on the other side, we, um, we were carrying a lot of guilt that, you know, we'd put her in a situation where, you know, her health was at, at risk. So the next month was an interesting one. We, um, we, had, we made sure that she had as much access to Finley as as she wanted, um, and also that we were, you know, keeping in contact and updating her on everything that was happening as well, and just to try and normalise the situation and make sure that everyone's feeling comfortable and not responsible mm. for it. And so we we had our we felt everyone felt guilt around the situation. It's just one of those things. It's un, unavoidable, really, um, when you go through something like that, where it's down to the, um, you know, feeling guilt about not being at home and letting our friends down and letting our families down and, let, you know, like we just sort of, we created this situation. 
um, and, and that sort of sense of ownership that you take for, for things like that and then having guilt around, you know, the decision that we wanted to have a baby so badly that we went through this and then that put our little baby at risk as well. You know, it just, it felt, it just, it was really, it was a really sort of traumatic time emotionally and physically. Have we made the best decisions possible to give this kid the best start in life? <laughs> you know, is there anything that we should have done that we could have avoided it? Mm. So when were you able to leave the hospital with Finlay? So he was born on the 28th of October and we left on the 23rd of February. Wow. He's just amazing. So our, our paediatrician um, last week, um, she was examining him and she was astounded. She said she was astounded. She said, I cannot believe that this baby was born this early and this small. There is nothing that I can see that is wrong with him at the moment. He's, um, we, got told, we got told towards the end of our stay in the hospital by one of his great doctors that um, he said, you know, you now have a, have a really healthy term baby. Um, anything that happens now, any sickness that he gets now, is because he is a sick baby, not because of a pre he's a preemie baby, but he's not a sick baby. And, that's, and he was never a sick baby throughout his whole time there. It, did, it was, a, it was um, quite a rough beginning. There were, um, you know, we had four blood transfusions and there were a couple of times where he was close to, he was close to giving up and had to be um, resuscitated. So the first couple of weeks were super bumpy. But after that, he just found his groove and just started flourishing and he was happy little gentle thing and he still is now but the doctor said to us your ride after your introduction was actually a good one like a lot of babies that go through this um, micro preemies they have heart surgeries and they can have um, problems with the brain development and she said you know he, he doesn't after that beginning there's been nothing other than him just growing and developing to where he should be. Like he had no brain bleeds. He had no, um, he did have a heart murmur um, and there was talk of surgery, of heart surgery, which was, um, which was awful to try and sort of consider that he would have to go under the knife at, um, at such a little fellow. Um, but then weirdly, himself, Panadol, Panadol closed that off, a bit of Tylenol. <laughs> um, so yeah, just amazing what they, what they can do and, and how much they, um, how much they allowed us to actually be in and do the caring for him. Um, so we, are, you know, we, we think that we're really great parents now because we got taught, <laughs> we got taught everything. We didn't go to one, one class before he was born. Um, we, we got some hands-on lessons for, for four months. Um, and so we really got to know him. We got to know him better than, than anyone. And so the doctors would ask us during rounds, what are your thoughts on, on these things? You know, if he's, if he'd lost a bit of weight, why do you think that was? How's his feeding going? All of that sort of stuff, um, which was which was amazing because it, made, it meant that we really needed to just be involved and be really part of part of his daily care. You hit the nail on the head. That the, the silver lining out of all of this, obviously, is his health, and we've got this perfect baby. But um, if we had have just followed the process through and. You know, we flew in, the baby was born at term and hand him over and say, okay, off you go. I, I think we would have been terrified and like any new parent, I guess, but so ill-equipped to deal with this newborn baby. But through the process of having essentially, well, essentially spent the last trimester with him, by the time we got him out, there was no nerves or worry about what we were going to do. It was just 
get our baby out of here. It's time we're ready to start parenting and just be a unit of three, not with this huge support network, this entourage that he carries. So, you know, the day we got him out was it was such a happy day. There was no worry or nerves around it, was there? It was no. just this break for freedom and the, the thought about now we're starting our lives exactly as it should be. But we're you terrified getting them. in the fire already, so you're, you're, you're set up for the next 18 years. Totally. That's it. We, um, we were terrified getting him home for, for like, okay, so when we get him home, like back to our apartment in, in Vancouver, we moved into downtown for the last month that we were there. Um, and we were thinking that, you know, it's all going to, it's all going to go horribly wrong once we get home, obviously, because it just, the world turns upside down. And he was on this beautiful four hour schedule where he didn't cry, didn't ask for anything, slept through the night, thought, okay, this is all going to go tits up when we get him back home. <laughs> And then we got him home and we were sort of just sitting there looking at him and, and I was like, Stu, what do you want to do? I'm a bit bored. Now, I know you did have a bit of a um, baptism of five. Do you have any advice, I guess, for intended parents going forward? Um, and particularly sort of how, how do you plan for, you know, those events that you can't predict? Well, my biggest piece of advice is the best laid plans I mean we spent two years researching this and we honestly thought we had done the best job that we could and I still think we did but the situation arose so quickly so if you're going to do this it is <laughs> my advice is be prepared for anything and when it does get difficult the one thing you have to remember is you collectively the two of you made all of these decisions together so whatever happens you're in this together and don't turn on each other because you're in these really stressful environments and the one constant in this is your partner there are everywhere your good days your bad days and I think it would be easy to snap or take it out on them but the only way you will ever get through this is if you stay strong as a unit and then manage everything together mm. I got I got um, great advice one from my mum early on um, as well. She, you know, we were just in tears constantly and standing at his bedside just crying because we just had no idea of what the future would look like. And then I called her at probably day three. Um, you know, we spoke three times a day, and she she just said, "You know what, Brett? It's time that time to stand up. You know, you're you're his father. You need to act like it. He needs to know that you." believe in him and that he will survive because he, he, you're his only frame of reference um well, you and Stuart are his only frame of reference so just stand up and and you know be, be better and it sort of yeah it snapped us out of it really like well it just meant that we we were able to support each other um uh and and make sure that we were sort of we, we were in touch with our sort of emotions together, but when we were with um, Finley, then we needed to be really positive, and we were a really amazing unit during that. And I think that we really grew over that time. I think that you need to take the you need to take the time to appreciate each other when you're in the middle of something so terrible, um, because it's you're in it for a long time, and you want to make sure that you are um, that you respect each other, um, because you are you're going to be there for each other always. Um, and we, we really, I think we really grew out of it as a, as a couple, um, which is amazing. Yeah. You are listening to the Australian Surrogacy Podcast and that was me chatting with Brett and Stuart about their surrogacy journey. If you would like to get in contact with me, you can find me on Instagram and on Facebook 
and at sarahjefford.com.